Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got Jeff Lester of Hunt Hard Outfitters out of Eager, Arizona. Jeff, how you doing? Great, Jay. Are you Eager or Springerville? Uh, I live in Eager. Okay. Springerville, Eager, uh, they're, they're all the same. <laughs> you all the you same drive and you don't know which one. It's kind of like Phoenix and Scottsdale. You don't know where you're at. You know you're in yeah, one of the two, but you don't know where you're at. That's right. Jeff, I've had you on the podcast a bunch. Um, we've talked about Arizona. We've talked about New Mexico. We've talked about your Hunt Hard gear. Um, we've had some great podcasts. I always get good feedback when you're on the podcast. We are sitting here with a deadline in our face here of March 20th uh, for New Mexico, but we are sitting in a spot that you and I have not sat in very much in that moisture in Arizona is, really good and from what I'm hearing moisture in New Mexico is good as well so uh, you and I usually are talking about how dry it is and how poor the antler condition is going to be and what have you just being realists being guys that have done this for 20 plus years each of us what situation are we in now and how is it different than it's been uh, the situation where we're sitting right now um I'm going to say we, you know, other than about seven or eight years ago when we had a couple of, we had a couple of big massive storms in March, um, and we had some good snowpack, this is probably the best consistency of moisture that we've had in 10 years. Um, between October and now, uh, being the second, first week in March, we've consistently got moisture in the region that I live in here in eastern Arizona and western New Mexico, uh, pretty steady since the second week in October. So every couple of weeks or week, we've had uh, a pretty solid little storm come through, and we've, we've just, like I said, consistently had um, solid moisture, you know, and that's something that we didn't get last year. Last year, last year we virtually did not have a winter, and our monsoon was pretty weak as well so what you have now is we had a solid solid monsoon season this year and that of course put great feet on the ground before the freeze and then when the freeze came on um which was probably last week in october um it, it might have froze a little bit before that i know that in new mexico we had a pretty decent snowstorm on the first rifle hunt and which was around the 12th or 13th of October. Uh, so, you know, that, that having that feed on the ground and the feed being good feed that had good nutrition in it because it was, you know, we had good rains and good, good moisture to bring that feed on. So now the dirt tanks are getting filled. Um, the creeks, I've seen water in a couple of spots that I haven't seen water in in quite some time. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I've been on the road for about six weeks doing outdoor shows and, and things on, on the West Coast mostly. And coming home last week, you know, we had this big massive storm that hit Arizona. And I was seeing snow at levels. I've never seen snow as much as snow as I saw up to a foot to 15 inches, even close to the desert floor coming right up out of Superior uh, coming up Highway 60, um, we had over a foot of snow right there at Top of the World. And, I and you know, it was just really, really wet, good, solid snowpack. 
all the mountains um, coming up into the White Mountains and everything across northern Arizona as well, uh, when I was traveling home, had really good snowpack. The Mugion Rim had, you know, 30, 40 inches in most spots. So with that, you know, when it starts to warm up, um, it's going to, you know, there's going to be water in places that we, we haven't had water in a long time, and it's just going to be good. I mean, it's – and coming off a year like last year, which was really rough, um, and I know we've played it up uh, – not played it up, but, I mean, we've talked about it, how bad it was last year, um, and it was pretty tough. But, I mean, you know, there were some units that did better than others in New Mexico. It wasn't like it was a complete – you know, we did kill – numerous elk i mean we killed over 40 bulls last year but killing anything with real size uh was tough but i mean there was a couple outfitters that killed some really solid bulls and you know it wasn't like all the units um suffered i mean some bulls found the moisture and some bulls got it it just depended if you had hunters um booked in those units that had um you know in those more mountainous units you know the 16s in the gila and uh, some of the other areas where those bulls could find some of that that feed where, you know, some of the high desert units were the ones that really suffered. So, so I think we're really sitting moisture. good right now. You like where we're sitting. Um, let me play the devil's advocate a little bit. Is it possible to have too much winter and spring moisture, snow, and is it possible if it stays cold, that those elk could maybe not get green feed right away, or is that just preposterous? And you know, we're in Arizona; it's abs- or, you know, Arizona and New Mexico, those two states. It's absolutely going to warm up. We don't have to worry about them, you know, being two or three or four weeks before they can get on green feed because it's so cold. Talk to me a little bit about that. I'm just I'm trying to play the devil's advocate on antler growth any way I can, just for conversation. But I think it's uh, warranted. Okay, so this is now. Remember, I want everyone that's listening to this to remember. Jay and I are talking about opinions here, <laughs> and this is by no way, you know, scientific proof kind of thing. I'm just saying what we've seen in years past is what we're talking about. I mean, it's you know to say. I mean, one unit could be different from the other. Northern Arizona versus Northern New Mexico versus Southern New Mexico. You know, you're talking about a 700-mile triangle there, and things can happen pretty different. But what I'm saying is the green feed that's going to come up. Okay, so we had 18 inches of snow in my yard at, at my house in Eager. Maybe not 18 inches, but about 15 inches. Three days later, four days later, it was gone. So we had, we had basically you know, an inch and a half of moisture, two inches of rain moisture or snow that soaked into the ground in three days. And it was as muddy as I've seen it in a long time. I mean, it was muddy everywhere you went. It was muddy. If there wasn't grass or gravel on it around here, it was muddy. And the mountain is the same way. Um, Of course, higher elevations, the snow stays later. North hillsides, snow stays later. You know, Greens Peak uh, that I can see out my back window is 9,500 feet or 10,000 feet, and it's got a north face, I mean, a south-facing slope, and on the north face of it probably has five foot of snow. So the the weather 
being in the southwest in Arizona and New Mexico, we don't we don't see the winter kill or anything that other states see because of the cold temperatures. Are at night it'll get down in the teens or zero on the mountain, but in the day, you know, you can go up to sunrise and be at the ski area and you're you're looking at a thirty five, forty degree day in the middle of the day. Because of that, in the lower elevations, once you get down into the seven thousand or six thousand uh, elevation, you're going to start seeing 50, 60 degree days. It was 66 here three days ago when it was hot in the valley, you know, in, in Phoenix. So, you know, Phoenix hit 80. We're typically 20 degrees to 15 degrees behind Phoenix. And that's kind of across the high desert up here is kind of that way. And as you get up high in the higher elevations, you're going to drop 10 or 15 degrees. But what I'm saying is in the middle of the day in this country, you got beautiful weather. The snow is melting. The green is already coming up. I was noticing uh, just a few minutes ago, I was talking to a hunter, and I'm sitting in my pickup, and I was looking at how much green shoots were just coming up in my yard already. That through the brown, you're starting to see green come up. Last year, my lawn literally almost died. I couldn't even, I mean, it was like I had the sprinklers on in March last year just trying to get it to get water because I thought the lawn was going to die. Um, we're already seeing green. Um, so I've got, there's bull, there's been about five or six bulls coming off close to my house and, and hitting, they've been in my yard every day, uh, and they're grabbing all the little green shoots coming up because there's a lot of green coming up in my backyard right now. And they've been in here, you can see all their piles of crap and, and they're, they're just coming off the hill and coming in right here to town and getting, you know, a lot of this feed that's coming up. Um, so I'm expecting... You know, the, the mountain, um, you know, those, those areas that that sun hits, you know, those areas will start when that snow melts and that, that ground under there. I mean, you can kick the dirt right now, and it's not very deep, and there's really good moisture in the ground right now. So I don't think we see it like as you head further north in the west where you get those really cold temperatures that are sustained. We don't get that down here. We get beautiful weather followed, you know, by a big storm. And... They're actually calling for two or three days of moisture here in the next seven days. We're supposed to have some um, substantial rain, and I know that they're calling for an over an inch of moisture in Phoenix um, on the on the second wave of this storm at the end of the week. So uh, we're going to get another storm, so it looks like. So so in other words, being this first week in March, uh, you've already seen it warm up enough that these spring storms that, that are predicted – it's actually just icing on the cake, and it's just going to make it even better. So what I'm hearing you saying is that they should be at maximum antler capacity. Talk a little bit about, and then I want to start diving into the units, talk a little bit about the point that you made about it having late monsoon moisture, too late to affect antler growth last year, but all the way in, through September, through October, so good fall moisture creating feed and, you know, creating bulls that are going into the winter, you know, they were pretty fleshy. Talk about that. And, and how that plays out through the winter and how that plays out into their new antlers that they'll be growing here pretty quickly. Okay, so when you're, when you're thinking antler growth um, from year to year, you always have to look a year out. 
Um, I've had guys that are like, oh, it's, they show up on the hunt and they're like, it's beautiful. Look at all the green grass. And I'm like, yeah, but th- like this year was kind of one of those years. So when people showed up in September on the archery hunts, they're looking at how beautiful it was. You know, and in fact, in our, in our camp in Arizona at one time, I, I got the, I took the lawnmower and was mowing camp because the grass was so deep around camp. I was trying to just make some paths to the tents and different things and, um, people were kind of laughing at that, but we had so much moisture in the monsoons. We just had great feet. Well, that feet's there, but the antlers are already, the velvet's off, the bulls are hard and you know, it's time to hunt. But co- coming into the monsoon was, we had the driest 12 consecutive months we've had on record in, in like 75 years. Well, now with that big monsoon that we had, we had a really solid rainy season it put all that feed on the ground, and that's good, strong feed with lots of protein in it. You got the mountain meadow and the grandma and all the different grasses, the fescues. So all that stuff's coming up. Those bulls are living on that all through the the, the rut and into winter. Um, and being that we are south of, you know, in the southern part of the United States, even coming in to the late October and November hunts, we had moisture, but in the middle of the day, it's still warming up. It's getting to be 60 degrees, even on the mountain, 50 degrees. Well, when that sun is directly hitting those hillsides, even during that time, you still have that green fescue coming up up under the trees, anywhere that there's some snow melt, um, like a little storm blew in and you got three or four inches, it melts off. That green grass is still coming up, even at those later months. And... Now let's equate that into antler growth. So last year, I talked to numerous antler buyers that said they cleaned up in uh, May, meaning they bought a lot of antler in May. And that early March and April, they were really slow. Well, what I think happened last year is I think a lot of elk held on to antlers, to their antlers later than normal. And even if it was two or three weeks, when, you, when, when they drop those antlers late, that growing season is prolonged, I mean, or I mean is, is not as great as it would be if they drop normal. Most of the time you want those bulls to start dropping from about the 10th of March um, you know, to the 10th of April is typically when you'd see a lot of antlers hitting the ground, and bigger bulls sometimes drop earlier. Um, and, of course, that's a little bit of my opinion. I've seen it last year. I, I saw many bulls packing antlers way later than I ever saw bulls packing antler before. Big bulls, like 330 kind of bulls still packing antlers way at the end of April. And that seemed really strange to me. And I've been told it has to do with some of their testosterone levels and different things. A biologist told me once whether, you know, I'm not a biologist. By all means, I'm just telling you what, you know, I've talked with numerous people about it. And... You know, when the bulls drop their antlers on time, when they're healthy and everything's going good, they drop those antlers on time, you know, because, you know, it's like a tooth. I mean, they're, you know, a kid lo- loses a baby tooth and you got that next tooth coming in. That antler's coming right in, starting the growth right after that, that bull sheds his antlers. So they need a full growing season on those antlers. And by doing that, uh, that's when uh, maximize its potential you know, because he's going to get a full growing season. 
And last year I saw so many bulls that literally looked like they just stopped. We talked about it in another podcast, um, how it just seemed like last year there was just a lot of bulls that just, just you know, it was like, hey, it's time. We're a 5x5. Five five. I should be a 7x. But this, I'm going to harden up and we're going to get rid of the velvet and it's time to rut. And it just, they, they still seem like they had a month to go, you know. Good explanation. All right, Jeff, you have operation in Arizona. You also run a big operation in New Mexico. You deal with people that draw tags, and you deal with people that want to purchase landowner tags and have both options for people. Walk us through how your operation works from a, you can, you know, pay to play and you can draw to play. How does it work? Okay. So obviously, you know, a lot of you know that we, we outfit both states and, uh, you know, we don't cover, you know, all the units in Arizona. We cover mostly the Western, I mean the, uh, Eastern side of the state and a couple of different units, uh, you know, for deer up North and the Kayabab and different things in New Mexico. We hunt mainly the Western side of the state, which is known, you know, for the Gila, the Gila national forest, Apache state graves, national forest, Cibola, um, you know, in, in the units that are basically south of I-40 uh, in New Mexico. So if you were to draw a circle, a 150-mile circle around where I live in Springerville, Arizona, or Eager, Arizona, you know, we're hunting that region um, in both states. Uh, and so I'm going to take you through a process of applying for the draw. Is that what you were meaning, Jay, mainly? of how we kind of work the system? Yeah, just how it works within your guide service um, for draw tags and for landowner tags. Okay, so the draw, obviously, you apply into the big game draw in New Mexico. New Mexico is not a bonus point holding state. So everybody's on an even keel every year. You, your luck of the draw. So if you did not want to go hunting this year in New Mexico, you would not want to put in because your chances of drawing you could have a chance of drawing a tag, where in Arizona, you have to put in for the tag, buy the license to receive your bonus point. You can buy points only. New Mexico does not offer anything like that. So basically, if you want to go hunt this year, you put in this year. If you don't want to go next year, if you did not put in, you are not hurting yourself by not applying because there's no points, no point system. Um, but what New Mexico has that other states don't, that a lot of other states, other states don't, is they have what they call a landowner tag. The landowner tag is given to a specific uh, landowner. Now, this is this can guide, a lot of guys get um, confused with how this works. So I'm going to use some pretty easy numbers so people can kind of figure out how this works. So say John Doe uh, Rancher has 5,000 acres. And that rancher, um, they go off what they call elk usage. And say he's got a certain amount of elk that come onto him on his private ground and eat his grass and everything. So they allocate that rancher a certain amount of tags according to that elk usage um, that he can in turn sell to the public or to an outfitter or to any individual. So that tag, say he gets two tags for that 5,000 acres. That tag in that specific unit can be sold and then an individual can purchase that tag and validate that tag for any specific hunt, either a gun or an archery, depending on what the landowner tag is. 
So say the guy has 5,000 acres, he gets two tags. He gets one archery tag, one rifle tag. That rifle tag um, can be sold. An individual can take that tag, book an outfitter. Uh, so me as an outfitter, I buy a certain amount of those landowner tags. And then I can sell those tags to my clients, and then I tack on an outfitter fee on top of that. And, um, you know, you might have a guy that, say a guy has a 150,000-acre ranch, and he gets 40 tags. Well, most guys with big ranches lease the ranch to an outfitter, and then he buys all the tags, and in turn, he hunts ranch only. So those tags, might, if they're designated ranch only, He's hunting only that ranch, and that, the, you cannot leave that 150,000 acres. The tags that I buy, I only buy unit-wide tags. So the tags that I buy, I can take and hunt in a specific unit that they're designated for, but I can hunt all of the national forest as well as the land that that tag comes off of. So say it's a 10,000-acre ranch, and he gets five tags, and I buy the five tags, or two or three or whatever he sells me, I can in turn now hunt the entire unit in the national forest that that tag is good for. So a lot of times people hear the word landowner tag and they immediately think they're going to be hunting private land. And that is no further from the truth. And, you know, the way I've always worked my system is I, I'm not a big fan of private land in New Mexico when it comes to hunting only private the reason I buy unit-wide tags is if a guy has, say, 5,000-acre ranch and he made his ranch ranch only, I wouldn't be interested in that tag because 5,000 acres can be hunted out in a day and a half, and if you were to press your elk at all, they're going to leave the 5,000 acres. So if someone doesn't have a very large ranch, a ranch-only landowner tag to me is not very valuable. So... That's how it kind of okay. works. Um, and, and then talk people... about how you can get a tag through a draw system. Okay, and to get the tag through the draw system, um, you can apply uh, just like you do in many other states. The difference in New Mexico is they have what they call an outfitter-sponsored draw. And so that outfitter draw gives you a better percentage, per se, than putting in on your own. So we're going to use easy numbers on this. Say there's 100 tags in one unit. Ten of those tags out of 100 are going to go into the outfitter pool. And the outfitter-sponsored pool, if you put in through an outfitter and use his number on your application, you will go in and you are able to draw one of those 10 tags out of 100. There might be 50 outfitters putting in for those 10 tags. There could be 10. There could be five. You don't know. Now, on top of that, there's another 6% that are allotted to the draw as well out of those 100 tags that can go to any individual out of state. So 16% of the tags will go, 10 will go to outfitters, 6 will go to people that put in on their own not using an outfitter number. Now, if you were to draw that tag on the 6% pool, you could still take your tag and go hire an outfitter. That's still, that's fine. You can still do that. You don't have to be put in the outfitter draw to hunt with an outfitter. So you could take your tag and go do that. You could also buy a landowner tag. Say you found a landowner tag on the Internet. You can still buy that landowner tag, purchase it, and then call 
and book a hunt with an outfitter. Does that answer your okay, question, Jay? Or? Yeah, that absolutely answers my question. And I was going to uh, give an example just so people can understand um, the difference between, say, the guided, which is the 10% pool, and then the 6% pool, which is basically the non-resident that's non-guided. Uh, and if you take, uh, let's, let's just take unit 15, and let's look at the first hunt. So the first hunt, archery hunt, September 1st through September 14th, I'm looking at the Go Hunt Insider, obviously a sponsor of this podcast, Unit 15, the first hunt in the non-resident, which is the 6% pool, it's 4.6% draw. There were 21 available tags, and let's see, I'm looking, and there were 770, uh, 778 applicants. If you take that Unit 15 in the guided, which is the 10% draw, it's actually 11%. So if you look at the difference between 4.6 and 11%, you have twice as good a chance to draw in the guided or the outfitter uh, pool rather than the non-guided. So you have twice as good a chance. And I think that's important to note that on years like this, when you are, have a great moisture year, um, you know, why not increase your odds and try and, you know, double your chance to draw? Whereas you look at the Unit 15 second archery hunt, which is September 15th through the 24th, it's 2.5% uh, percent chance to draw. And if you look at the guided portion, so the 10% portion, it's 6.9%. So it's almost three times as, uh, as good a chance uh, to draw that in, in the outfitter pool. Uh, Jeff, let's talk about the specific units that you like to guide in uh, and, and just feel free to go through them. Okay. Um, so the units that we are hunting, um, you know, over the years we've been doing this a long time and we've there's some units we used to hunt that we don't hunt as much now. Um, every year, we sometimes we tweak that depending on uh, availability of tags, if anything changes, um, you know, maybe our track record in a specific unit. Um, a unit may get hot, so we kind of move into a, maybe an area that maybe a few years ago wasn't producing for us, but now it started to produce some better bulls, you know, with burns, fires, um, moisture, lots of different reasons. Uh, some things change, obviously. So um, our main units that we mainly hunt, um, you know, when you say that, I mean, we, we, we kind of have our, I guess you could say your bread and butter units that we, we've always continued to guide. And then we've tacked on some of those units. So mainly we are in unit 15. So let's, we're going to work from the Arizona line over. So you got unit 23 uh, that borders unit 27, Arizona, unit 15, which borders Unit 1, Arizona. So we hunt uh, 15, 23, 16D, 16B, 16C, 16E, and 16A and D. Did I say A there? But A and D. So all the 16 hunts, we basically do all of the 16 hunts. And then Unit 15, uh, 13, 17, um, and... 
that's pretty much it on this in that region. So basically, you're coming from, you know, Albuquerque to Socorro, and then everything underneath I-40 uh, west is the units that we're mainly hunting. So, and okay. that and and that sounds like a lot, but uh, I mean it is a lot of units. Um, it's a big chunk of ground. Um, but that's that's how they number them in New Mexico. That 16 region is uh, you know the Gila National Forest, but then there's there's lots of BLM and state and different things that that lay in between those units. So when people say the Gila, uh, there's three main units: 16B, 16A, and 16D that consist of the Gila National Forest. Let's talk about Unit 23 real fast because I hear things about Unit 23 and I hear that there's some really big bulls in 23. Uh, I hear that it's a pretty dang hard and finicky to hunt but can be rewarding. What are your thoughts on Unit 23? I think you've hunted it with your own personal tag before um, and then you've guided it in it as well. Tell me the scoop on 23 uh, and then on Every one of these units, I kind of want you to give with this year's outlook, you know, kind of an average run-of-the-mill bull, you know, types of bulls that they'll be seen, and, and then maybe a, it wouldn't surprise me if an XYZ bull came out of, you know, this unit. Um, unit 23 is, is a unit that uh, if a guy calls and asks about 23, um, I just make sure that he understands the gig in 23. 23 has some big bulls in it. It borders Unit 27, Arizona. It doesn't have near the, the elk numbers that 27 has. Um, for some reason, I mean, years ago, about 15 years ago, they did some unlimited hunting in, in 23, and for years it kind of hurt the population. They really banged it up uh, because, you know, they would have like a rifle hunt with unlimited tags, and there'd be 700 tags bought for that unit. And they did that for a few years, and that was... That was quite some time ago. I can't remember exact dates, but I want to say it was 12 to 15 years ago. And it took a while for that to kind of recover off of that. It wasn't, you know, in my opinion, very good management because um, it's built just like Unit 27 in Arizona uh, or across the road in 16A. Um, New Mexico is much of the same kind of country. But anyway, the elk can be kind of spotty in 23. It does have some big bulls. Um, it, like I said, it's not for everybody. Um, when you, my, one of my guides, uh, knows 23 very well, has hunted it numerous times and, uh, has killed some really solid elk and animals in, in 23 himself. Um, we used to guide that unit, uh, a lot more, you know, years ago. Um, we've started kind of paying attention to it a little more now. Um, it's kind of come back around. Uh, it's becoming better and better, uh, with a little bit more management, um, the tag numbers aren't quite as high as when they once were. Uh, like I said, it's not, it's not that it's a sleeper unit. It's, everybody knows it's got some big, big cranker bulls in it. It's just that it can be kind of hit and miss, and it can be a little frustrating for, for the average guy to go and hunt it. Um, got a little better draws than some of the other units. Um, but with you know, enough homework or hunting with the right outfitter, you can go in there and get into some pretty you know, solid hunting. Um, what would be the average bulls that, you know, you could expect to tell guys you're going to see this class of bull and it wouldn't surprise me if you see a, this type of bull? Well, it's one of those units that on average, I mean, you know, all these units over here, um, you know, we've got phenomenal genetics and we've got good elk herd numbers. So 
they all occurred as strong in most of the areas that uh, that we're in. So you're looking at a 320 to 330 upper end average, like for an upper end better bull that is going to be killed, is probably a 320 to 330 is your upper end average with the chance to kill a 350 to 380 bull. Um, I mean, you could be hunting a 330 bull one day and out walks a 380 bull around a tree. I mean, it could, it could happen very easily in that unit. Um, and that's, you know, that goes for any unit that we hunt because those bulls live in those units. Um, of course, there's less and less of those bulls when it gets higher in that age class and higher in that, that uh, you know, the score of 350-plus bulls it's going to be a smaller amount, but those bulls do live there and get killed every year, uh, typically in, in these units. Jeff, I want to take just a quick second and thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank Go Hunt Insider. You just heard me talking about the draw odds there in unit 15, and I was comparing the 6% pool to the 10% pool and giving you the numbers. Uh, if you become a Go Hunt Insider member, that's all of that research is right here at your fingertips. Uh, if you go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott and use that link, you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt gift certificate to the gear shop immediately just for signing up. And I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I also want to thank gohunt.com, the gear shop, the optics department. My friend of 20-plus years, Cody Nelson, is the optics manager. I call him the glassing guru. He knows a lot about glassing, knows a lot about optics. If you have any binoculars, spotting scopes, tripods, rifle scopes, any optical needs at all, give him a call. He's promised me that he will take care of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners, and you can tell him that if he doesn't, I'm going to give him a black eye. Make sure you use the word black eye. That usually makes uh, the price you pay go down. Uh, and he's a great guy. You can reach him at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. Or you can email him directly at optics at gohunt.com. Now, keep in mind, when you call that phone number, you're going to get Cody directly. If you email, you're going to get Cody directly. He handles all of those calls, so make sure to reach out to him. I also want to thank Kuyu, that's K-U-I-U.com, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts, K-U-I-U.com. Make sure to visit them, check out their gear. Uh, Phonescope.com, use the JScott19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, CanyonCoolers.com, a local company based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona. Use the JScott19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. And then OnXMaps.com, if you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 20% discount. Okay, Jeff, we've talked about Unit 23. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into Unit 15 and then I want to kind of run down through 16A, 16B, 16B, run down through them. So spend just a few minutes on 15, and we'll go right into the next unit. Okay. Uh, unit 15. Uh, unit 15 is not one of my favorite units. It used to be a phenomenal unit. In my opinion, it's had an extreme amount of pressure over the last uh, 10 years. Um, and it just, in my opinion, it has a... a a dwindling age class of bull. Um, it's a great hunt. The elk numbers are high.
high. There's lots of elk in the unit. But if you're looking for that 330-plus bull, um, in my opinion, it's not the unit you would want to be hunting. It's got, it's got lots of elk, and you can go have an action-packed hunt. And don't get me wrong, it's got a lot of cows in the unit, and it's going to drag a big bull out of the deep, you know, out of the deep woods. So there's going to be a big bull here and there. But, um, you know, years ago when we used to hunt it, you used to walk by 350 bulls to get to the 380 bulls. And it, that is not the way that unit is anymore. It lives off its past reputation when it comes to size. So it's typically a 315 to 320 is a, is a solid bull in that unit um, with the chance to kill a 350 bull. I mean, there's going to be big bulls in the unit, uh, but there's just not going to be near as many of them as years past. Um, 16A. So 16A. 16A is probably the best unit, um, probably the best archery hunt in the state. I, I, I mean... You know, if you're comparing apples to apples, I mean, there's a couple other units that could probably compare to it, but 16A is very, very good. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of elk in it. It's got, uh, you know, it's managed correctly. Um, got some big, big bulls in it. It's got big timber. Got some huge burns. Uh, great feed. And it just, it. some of the bulls have some age class because it's got some deep, gnarly canyons where the bulls can get away. And it's, it's consistently producing some of the better bulls shot in New Mexico every year. It's also got some of the toughest draws, um, obviously. Um, when we're talking New Mexico, you're talking 16D, 16A, 16B. Those are uh, the units that, are, that are, are tougher to draw. But 16A is, is a phenomenal unit. Great rifle hunt as well. Um, can't go wrong with a 16A tag. And then, uh, you know, bordering 16A is 16D. And 16D is much the, you know, it can be compared right there with the 16A. Um, got some really, you know, pretty rough country, but it's got a lot of road access. You can get around in the unit. Got a good, solid, uh, you know, bow hunt in there as well with the rifle hunt. So that's another unit. A and D can be compared to one another. Very similar um, terrain. Um, not near as many tags in 16D, though. So D can be a very, very tough draw. Uh, I put in for the tag numerous times myself and never been lucky enough to draw, you know, a tag there. So... Yeah, I'm looking at the odds right now on the Go Hunt Insider on 16D, Jeff. And if you take the first hunt in the non-guided uh, pool, it's 1.8%. In the guided pool, it's 3.3%. So, again, it's almost twice as good odds putting in an outfitter pool, but still 3.3% odds is not very good. And then you take that to the second hunt, um, in the non-guided, it's 0.58%. There's only four permits. Uh, and in the outfitter pool, it's 1.4%. So obviously with those numbers, that's, that's kind of the worst draw odds in New Mexico. That tells me that most people think that 16D is probably the best unit. Is that, is that safe to say, that most people think that that's the best unit? No, I wouldn't agree with that. Um, and the only reason it, it does appear that way, but the reason it appears that way is there's, there's only – I mean, I can look it up right now. We got 16. So in the archery hunt, in the first archery hunt, there's 90 tags. 
And then the second archery hunt, there's 60 tags. So, so in other words, that, it's, it's a total numbers game where um, just because it has lower tag numbers. But what about as far as quality of experience with less people? Would you argue that maybe 16D, because there is less tags, it's actually experience-wise maybe a smidge better from a people perspective? Well, yeah, that's definitely what you want to look at because if you do draw that tag, you're going to have a lot less numbers. Where like in 16A, you're at 250 people on the first hunt, and the 15th through the 24th of the archery hunt, you're at 150 people. So, you know, you, you go over to that, you're basically cutting those numbers basically in half in 16D. So, yeah, it's a harder draw because there's less tags. But if you were to be lucky enough to get one of those tags, yes. I mean, you know, it's going to be a very good hunt. I mean, 16D is a sought-after tag for many of those reasons. 16A being, you know, it's a, 16A is a little bigger of a unit, and, you know, it, it, you know it, it has tons and tons of huntable ground, lots of big area. It's got some grassland in it as well with big timber country, lots of tree line. Um, type stuff on the edge of big, you know, grassy meadows and park type stuff. Um, so yeah, you know the the what are, we, and, what are we looking at in 16D as far as kind of average size bull, top end average size bull, and then you know wouldn't surprise you if there was this kind of bull in there that comes out of there. Uh, for guys that hold out and are hunting big bulls um, on any hunt, you're talking archery, rifle, or everything. I would say that 16D is a 330 to 340 upper end bull hunt. Um, meaning, if you hold out there and you're and you you hunt hard, you're probably most likely going to come out of there with a, a 340 kind of animal on a good year. Now, if you do a lot of scouting and you go in there and you, you, you're willing to let the 340 bulls walk, you probably are going to have an opportunity at a 350-plus bull. But there's going to be a lot, lot more work involved in that. And, I mean, and then you always have the luck side where you can just swap into one. And that happens all the time, obviously. It's hunting. And in those units, that, that swapping into one, you're, you know, when you're in those units with those, that better age class, Slopping into one big is always a lot more common than in a unit where obviously that doesn't happen as much because the age class maybe is not like slopping into one in 15 and slopping into a big one in, in the six in A or D. You're going to slop into one in A and D way easier than you're going to slop into one in 15. I like slopping. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I, believe, I believe that's the wilderness hunt, isn't it? Yes. Talk about now, 16B. 16B is an awesome unit, It's uh, but it's a wilderness unit. And, you know, these numbers, when you look at how many people are applying for these 16 units, I mean, it, it, the draw is tough. You know, 16B has a little better draw odds than some of the other units due to the wilderness side of it. Um, there's no motorized vehicle in any portion of it. Um, there's a couple of roads that take you into trailheads and different things that take you a little further in it, but off of those byways, you it is horseback or foot only, foot traffic only. So, you know, they are it's a wilderness unit. Um, 16B, um, 
you know, they've killed some great bulls in there in the last few years. Last year, out of some of the really solid bulls killed in New Mexico, I know that that unit did pump out some pretty good bulls, considering the circumstances last year. I mean, uh, you know, so, you know, the guides and the outfitters that uh, had clients in those units, they, they did kill some decent bulls in those units compared to some of the other units last year. Uh, but you have to be average prepared bull for it. Hunted. Um, I would say that it's average. You know, it's it's much like A and B. I mean, it's a three thirty average hunted bull. And uh, but you're that's one of those units that man, you could. I mean, there is there is three eighty, three ninety, four hundred inch bulls walking around in that unit. You know, I mean, there are. It's just there's lots of untouched territory in that unit, deep. Um, I mean, the Gila wilderness goes on and on and on. I mean, it's it's got some big, gnarly country that... I mean, there's bulls in that country that probably are living and dying without ever seeing a human, to be honest with you. You know, there's there's a lot of big country in that in that unit, and it's a, it's a unit, but it's... When we're talking, it's not a unit you're just going to, oh, we're just going to go and hunt 16B. You better be prepared because there's a lot of work involved in hunting that unit. Um and especially if you're going to trophy hunt it. So, 16C is in Charlie and E is in Edward. Okay, C and E. Um, C's got, you know, it's not, it's not a, I mean, we've hunted it in the years past, not a lot. A um, couple of big ranches in the, in the unit. Um, so the access to the, the public and, is it's not that it has bad access i mean it's 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 a decent unit i i it's got a couple of hunts i like to hunt um i like specific hunts in there and there's other hunts i wouldn't hunt anybody in it so the 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 hunts that we put people in for in 16c um are you know we like the archery season and we like the youth hunt um after that i'm not really we don't spend much time in there in the later rifle hunts and 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 different things in october uh, so it's not, like I said, it's, it's a, it's a good unit for specific hunts for us. Doesn't mean that with the right outfitter or someone that hunts it more than we do, you couldn't go in there and kill a good bull. It's got good bulls in it. Um, 16E, uh, kind of much the same off of 16C a little bit, but got some big private land in it. A lot of grassland, a lot of open country, very hard access. Um, either horseback or backpack. Um, got a lot of uh, glassable country. You can see elk in it. Um, but uh, last couple of years, uh, kind of suffered. Been pretty tough. Not a not very. In fact, there's hardly. I don't think there's any natural water in the unit. Um, so it's all either cattle water, dirt tanks, or windmills. Um, I think there's only like one spring in the whole unit. And it's on private land. And so it can be a tough unit. Um, definitely have to do your homework to hunt that unit. Lot last year, the unit was extremely tough. Um, antler growth was one of the worst I had seen in any unit was that unit last year uh, out of some of the units we hunt. So um, doesn't mean it can't pump out a big bull. It's always been known to pump out a giant bull here and there. But any of the any of the units we hunt do that so uh that's just one unit unless you know the game and know how it works um you got to be kind of 
on top of your game to hunt that unit and, and do well in it. Okay. Uh, let's talk about, you mentioned 13 and 17. Talk about both of those. So 13 and 17, um, both uh, 13 has got a lot of, what you, you know, high desert, um, rim rock, sandstone, sandy washes, uh, cedar, pinyon thickets, um, mesas, you know, just, uh, you know, it's got a couple of big mountain ranges in it, um, big giant unit, uh, got, you know, quite a bit of reservation land in it as well on the north end. Um, checkerboarded private and state and public uh, in in other parts of the unit with BLM. So um, always pumps out a giant bull. Uh, last year, you know, there was a 400-inch bull shot in the unit. Um, it's got some big bulls in it, um, but it's not. It's it's the same as you know anything else. You got to go and do your homework, do your scouting. Uh, you can find a big bull pretty much anywhere in the in the entire unit. And then there's areas that have very few elk where it's really spotty. Doesn't mean you couldn't find a giant bull in one of those spots. Um, you know, it's it's uh, first muzzleloader in there can be a pretty good hunt. There's lots of other hunts that, you know, it's it's a. Uh, I, I don't know what to compare it to. Um, it's kind of its own little deal in a way. Um, unit 12 borders unit 13 uh, has some of the same you know, characteristics of 13, but 12 has a lot more private land in it. And, uh, you know, tag numbers are really low. So 13 gives you the other spectrum where you got, you know, decent tag numbers in the draw, um, good solid elk numbers. You might not see as many elk as you're going to see over in the in the Gila units, but you have just as good a chance maybe at killing a, a giant bull in that unit. It's got some big bulls, good age class, um, Still pretty tough draw odds, um, even though it's probably down on the list. But draw odds are probably still pretty tough. So um, compared, comparing them to the uh, other units, you know, the the 16 units, um, 17, much like 13, uh, 17 can be kind of hit and miss. Got some pockets that you know can pump out a giant bull got some areas and big mountain ranges where bulls can go and get lost and get away from people uh got some big tall mountains um so the bulls can go in summer and do their thing and then they come down to the low rolling foothills to uh rut and you can get those big bulls coming out of those mountains and a big bull can show up anytime in 17 just like it can in any of these other units uh, it always pumps out a really solid bull on a good year Last couple of years has been tougher in 17 for size. Uh, it's one of those that, you know, 13 and 17, 12, um, you know, 10, unit 10, those units up in that, that arid, it's, it's more of an arid climate, and they just don't receive some of the moisture that the mountainous units do get. And it's, they can be a little more hit and miss than some of the, the other units, you know, that, that have more of the, big timber in them and stuff so another good unit though i mean 17 is a great unit and guys that do their homework just like on any of these other hunts or outfitters the guides and you know the guys that are consistently going out and scouting and and you know finding these bulls in the off season and and you know have hunted it year to year that have the experience in these units they pump out typically you'll see those guides and outfitters killing 
the bigger and better bulls because year to year they're hunting the same spots and they're hunting bulls that they may have hunted the previous year or such. So, you know, some like it, everybody thinks that everybody just got their butts kicked in New Mexico last year. Well, the fact is, is there was a couple outfitters that did pretty well, you know, killed some really solid bulls. And uh, they're guys that have produced those kind of elk, you know, time and time again. And, and uh, you know, they have, you know, some of those guys have landowner tags in some of those units where, you know, they're very hard to get, you know, those landowner tags. So they, they have guaranteed tags in units where maybe, you know, you don't, very few times you get opportunity to hunt those units because you don't, you can't draw people in them. Just a really tough draw. And uh, so that's that's about 17 and 13. You just, they're just units that can pump out big bulls, but uh, they're they're far and few between when it comes to giants. Okay. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. If you if you had to make a thousand dollar bet, so not a hundred because you'd just give me some unit and you'd give me the hundred bucks and just laugh. But I'm talking a thousand dollar bet. Like you have to think about it. Between sixteen A, B, C, D, and E. So sixteen A, B, C, D, and E. This year, where's the biggest bull gonna come out of? sixteen uh, B. B is in the think, wilderness. Yeah, I think the wilderness will pump out the biggest bull on a general season hunt. And I'm not talking like an auction. I'm not talking like an auction tag or or a, a special one of the special um, commission. Like they have a you know they have some hunts over there that they they give raffle tags and different things for. But I just think out of the general season hunts, 16B will probably pump out the probably the, one of the better bull shot this year in our country okay. down in this country that we're hunting but with that being said you'd also bet a thousand bucks that nine out of ten guys will cry home to mama after going on that hunt as well right yes yes and i would okay. also be willing to bet you that that bull will not be a bull that necessarily was found scouting or anything it will just be a bull that ends up getting shot on a hunt there will be no, you know, 40 guys aren't going to have him on trail cam and, and you know, all this stuff. I just think that it's one of those units that, by accident, you could be hunting and just kill an absolute giant bull. <laughs> and right. um, uh, Let's talk about so, antelope. Uh, do you do antelope hunts in New Mexico? Um, I, I'm not sure if you even focus on that. We don't really we don't put a lot of emphasis on it because let's be let's be honest here. I mean antelope. I mean it's not like they're you know a real tough animal to hunt and kill. If you're going to kill big, I antelope, thought you were going to compare it to a turkey. I thought we were going to about to have a. We're not going to the turkey, no, Jay. And I we're thought not you were going to turkey, just like a turkey. And I was like going to drive up to Eager and knock on your door. Um, <laughs> you're saying it's like it's it's a rat that lives out in the prairie. And that's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, let's go, let's, you know, when it comes to antelope, I mean, you, you can take one spectrum, let's say archery antelope, probably one of the toughest spot and stock animals in the United States. But then when you go to rifle, it's probably the easiest, okay? Um, right. I mean, they're white dots out in Yellow Prairie. I mean, if you can't see them, I mean, you're, you know, you're out to lunch. <laughs> it's, it's like finding them is not a big deal. Now, if you're hunting big goats, big antelope, you know, New Mexico's got a lot of really good areas with big antelope. And that's why it's a three-day season because, 
you know, they're they're giving you an opportunity to come in there and and bang one and, and go home. I mean, it's and and so we we don't put a lot of emphasis on it. We do hunt them. Um, lots of stuff changed this year with antelope. Uh, so private. What do you land, think about the changes? Oh, I've got mixed emotions about it. Um, I think it's going to they're going to wipe out a lot of the antelope, aren't they? Well, I I think it's a terrible. I mean, in certain areas, I think it's going to be better, and in certain areas, I think it's going to be worse. And the reason why is because an area that has a very big ranch in it, now the landowner will be able to basically manage his ranch. So if the state was giving him four landowner tags before, this landowner could now hunt eight or ten bucks on his land. So as long as the landowner is into knowing he needs to manage his property he has the opportunity to do that. But if he gets greedy and decides, oh, I've got antelope running all over me, and he just goes and shoots them, you know, and he shoots 10 this year, then his age class is going to drop off dramatically, and it's probably not going to be very good for his herd. Now, what is happening is beforehand when um, John Doe drew a tag, he got placed on a ranch on a specific area. And then when he gets that, that tag... He would go out, and he, 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 he was confined to a certain area to hunt. So it wasn't like he could just go out and scout and find this 85-inch buck in an area and then know you're going to be able to go hunt that. You, you kind of, it wasn't only getting drawn was lucky, also getting the right area was being lucky. And it's not going to be that way anymore. So now the, they've cut it up into many different hunt units, and... Uh, lots of different hunts in those units. So if you draw the right tag the first this year or next year, probably it's going to be pretty good. Um, it's going to be a tough, tough draw. Antelope is tough no matter where you're on the West to draw these really good tags. But if you draw the right tag, it's probably going to be a phenomenal hunt for the first couple of years. And then we'll just, time will tell. Time, time will tell what this is going to do. Um, you know, I, I don't. I'm not to say it's going to be any better or worse, but like my landowner tag that I bought previously, I used to buy a landowner tag, and my landowner tag is basically useless now because it's only good for 3,500 acres, where before I was hunting 75,000 acres. So that landowner tag is pretty much, you know, to me it's it's useless because 3,500 acres is just not near enough land for an antelope, and. Uh, but that landowner could now sell four or five tags if he wanted, which I don't agree with that. <laughs> but it, we'll, we'll see how these landowners and the, and the outfitters that are leasing these areas, we'll see how they deal with um, that side of it. You know? and, and by all means, if I said something that is not correct on this antelope deal, <laughs> don't take everything I'm saying for, you know, it, it's, this is new and I, I, there's a few things that I've read into it that I might not be exactly correct on. So, um, you know, sure. it's something I don't pay attention to as much, and I don't want anyone to think that by what I'm saying is the way it is because there, there, there is going to be some pros and cons to the antelope deal now. Jeff, it's always great having you on the podcast. I want to give you a chance to let the listeners know how they can reach out to you, how they can talk to you, and find out more info about what you got going on. Uh. The way to find us is either hunthard.com, um, go into the outfitter section, 
And uh, you can find us on Instagram at hunthard uh, underscore gear. That's my, uh, that's my personal Instagram and my business Instagram that I use for, for Hunt Hard Outfitters. And then um, Facebook um, is just Hunt Hard on Facebook. Social media is kind of, we try to keep up on it. Um, we don't have anybody doing it for us. Uh, we try to, you know, like I said, keep up on it as best as we can. That's kind of a good way to track what we're doing. Um, so that's the way to find us. And then, you know, right now with the draw coming up on the 20th of March, uh, the best way, if you're interested in getting into the outfitter draw with Hunt Hard Outfitters or talking with us more in depth about some of these units, um, the best thing to do is text me at 928-245-2668. That is my cell number. Text me your name and what you're interested in, and then I will get back to you. Um, I am very busy right now on the phone with clients. Uh, yesterday I didn't get out of my pajamas till six in the evening. I mean, I got up at seven and I was on the phone all the way till seven or eight that last night. So, I mean, right now it's, it's, I'm on the phone, um, pretty much constant, um, answering questions, getting people in for the draw. Uh, another thing to note, uh, when you put in with an outfitter in New Mexico, uh, to be in the 10% draw pool, you have to have a signed contract, um, so a booking form and contract with an outfitter. And then there's terms and conditions with the New Mexico Outfitter Agreement. That's to be put in the 10% uh, special drawing pool for the outfitters. To, be, to do that with an outfitter in New Mexico, you need to sign a contract to hunt with that outfitter by law. And so it's kind of important that everyone knows that the outfitters that you, you may be um, looking at or shopping, um, you know, you have to have a written contract with each client prior to the draw. And that's pretty much it. Good stuff, amigo. Good stuff. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing with us. Uh, I saw you briefly. I think I shook your hand when you had about 12 people around you at the show and people were trying on gear and you had all kinds of stuff going on at your booth. But it was good to see you kind of and give you a wink and off I went. But uh, every time I went by, your booth was just absolutely packed. I'm sure after six weeks of uh, going to all the shows, you're ready for a little breather. Uh, but it's always yeah, great the, talking to you. You're, you're always great to, to chat with. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on, Jay. Um, I think you have a great podcast. And uh, I really uh, I saw some of the posts you hit this year about some of the success you've had with the podcast. And, and my hat's off to you in this day and age of uh, social media and stuff. I, you know, I, I, I appreciate you having us on and giving us an opportunity to uh, – you know, tell the listeners about what we do, and and uh, I just I want to you know my hats off to you on the on the podcast that you've built and and on the listeners you know ship that you have you know really really done a good job with it. Thank you, buddy. Well, sounds good. We'll uh, tell everyone in the family hello and God bless. Okay. Okay. You guys take it easy. <laughs>